Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Disciple Makers Podcast by Discipleship.org. I'm your host, Dave Stovall, and today we're featuring TCM International. David Rokup is the speaker. He's the Global Outreach Associate for TCM, and he's talking to us over the next four episodes about discipling for transformation and reproduction. He's specifically talking about how to make sure that the well you're overflowing from is actually full. As a minister myself, this was something I really needed to learn early on because as you're discipling people, you're actually pouring your life out for them the way that Jesus poured his life out for you. If there's nothing there, guess what? It will be contrived and the fruit you reap will show it. I used to think spiritual fullness was something that the Holy Spirit did by himself, but as David puts it in this episode, that's actually our job as disciples to grow in Jesus every single day and it doesn't happen automatically. All right, I hope that you will be spiritually full from this episode. Let's listen in to what David Rokup has to say to us about discipling for transformation and reproduction. Here we go. For you all, my name is David Rokup. I'm a professor of discipleship with TCM International out of Indianapolis, and our European headquarters, of course, is in uh, Heiligenkreuz, uh, Austria. And some of you may have been over there, and uh, you're all welcome to come whenever you can. It's uh, my ninth year, and this is uh, really one of the best chapters of my entire journey, this last nine years teaching for them and uh, doing ministry together. Uh, the area that I work in uh, specifically is discipling and small group ministry, discipling in small groups, uh, main areas. Uh, spiritual formation is part of the, is the under, undergirding to all of that. So those are the areas I work in. So I was allowed actually to go ahead and choose my own topics. So I really wanted, just thought it would be good to talk about this in light of the overall idea of if we're going to be discipling people, you know, it's so imperative that we have it in our hearts first before we ever try to give it away. So talking about foundations. Uh, the outline that, that I have given you, uh, it, there's way, way more material on here than we can ever cover in an hour. But I did want to give you additional resources and scriptures and various things for your own teaching and preaching. And uh, if you want to really take these, Please feel free and give them away. It's no, no problem at all. <clears throat> but uh, what we're going to do is kind of, it's like taking a rock, a flat rock, and skipping it across the lake, kind of hit the high points of this outline. And if there's a place where you have a question or you want to stop for a moment and talk about some of those items, uh, feel, please feel free to do that. Just lift your hand up. Uh, I, I know you've never, most of you have never seen me before. I live in northern Kentucky, just south of, of the river there in Cincinnati and uh, taught at CCU, Cincinnati Christian University, for the last 14 years before I joined, uh, joined TCM. And, uh, He's an amazing guy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Can you call my wife? Just, <laughs> just mention that to her. Um, yeah. uh, I, um, uh, I really love the Lord with all of my heart. Became a Christian when I was nine and really never looked back. And um, went to high school, right out of high school, went to Lincoln Christian College and uh, started ministry the uh, weekend, uh, uh, the, the summer after my freshman year, I took a weekend youth ministry. And um, so this is about 55 years uh, in, the, in the saddle here and uh, married to Karen for the same amount of time, 55th um, anniversary recently, two daughters and four grandchildren. And um, it's a little bit of background on, on who I am. 
uh, in terms of your, your speaker today. So that, that's the outline. We'll cover mo uh, most of that, but much, we won't take it by every line. Uh, I want to say also that the reason I chose this topic is that I do think the idea of um, my personal spiritual life and my the foundation I stand on is critical, uh, whether I'm a paid minister or a, a lay person or a volunteer. The fact that ministry we do in the name of Jesus really stands on the foundation of our relationship to Him. I mean, that, that's truly the bottom line. The fact that, that I know Jesus deeply, that I have read um, Luke 9, 23 and 24, you know, where Jesus says, if there's anybody who is listening to my words, if anybody hears me, if you really want to be my disciple, you must take up your cross daily, uh, deny yourself, and follow me. And those who want life will do this, and those who wind up not having life won't do this. And that's actually Jesus' definition of discipleship. You know, you come to me and you die, and in your death I will give you a brand new life. As a matter of fact, I'll give you my life. And, uh, and, and brothers and sisters, we really need to focus on that, to think about it, to make sure we've had that experience where we have really surrendered and submitted ourselves to the Lordship of Christ in our lives in, in, in every area. <clears throat> um, uh, in terms of um, continuing in that, in that thought, that frame, there's, this forms the foundation for our life in Jesus Christ. The foundation. I use that term carefully. Uh, my wife and I built our own home. We acted as the contractors of our own home about 35 years ago. And, uh, and I know you, you might be saying, oh no, that, that has to be, had to have been a train wreck, you know. Well, my only salvation is that my father was a contractor and built homes, so I had a little bit of an edge there. But the one thing he taught me flat out is when you uh, have the hole dug in the ground and you've got the plumbing roughed in, you know, the key is that you've got to pour a footer, you know, that's uh, tall and wide with rebar, and then on the footer goes your poured foundation, and that's the basis of the entire house. Uh, which it is. And Jesus himself said, when you have a strong foundation built on the rock, you're good to go. And when you build on sand, uh, there, there are going to be problems. So I really believe that what we're talking about here now forms the footer and the foundation of our service to Jesus Christ. And that's why I think this, this uh, topic is just really so important. Um, there are several critical issues that we want to cover today. There are five altogether. We'll spend most of our time mainly on two of these. But, uh, but the idea is that uh, there are certain elements that are critical to us in our spiritual growth, such as, um, I know that if you don't have spark plugs in an engine, obviously it, it can't function. I, I know nothing about sewing, you know, but my wife sew, has sewn quite a bit, and she always talked about the bobbin in her sewing machine, and apparently you load thread onto the bobbin, and that's what allows the sewing to take place, and if your bobbin is empty, not a whole lot, or you don't have a needle, just one small piece of steel, thin steel. If you don't have a needle, and you can sit there all day and sew and nothing will happen. So uh, the key to our leadership in Christ, the key to our witness, is really knowing Jesus as deeply as we can and have a, having a daily personal relationship to Him. That, that, that's really where it all starts. Now, in light of that then, I wanted to lay a backdrop of the classic spiritual disciplines, you know, uh, if, you, if someone said to me, what are, what are the keys to really growing in Christ? I would say, well, the, the out front main things are the classic spiritual disciplines. We can take them all the way back to Abraham, all the way through the Old Testament. Jesus practiced them. Matthew 6, Jesus describes three main spiritual disciplines out of the list. 
You know, he preaches about them. Uh, we know Paul, Peter, James all practice these. We have uh, record evidence to show that the disciples of the disciples uh, practice these disciplines as well. We're really not going to talk about those specifically today because there are great books out there that describe a ton of them. But in my class for TCM, I cover 12 of these main disciplines in, in great depth. And I've just listed those 12 here on the, uh, on the, sh pat on the sheet so you can see what we, what we go over. Here's a great statement about uh, the spiritual disciplines from Dallas Willard. He says, full participation in the life of God's kingdom and in the vivid companionship of Christ. I love that phrase. Comes to us only through appropriate exercise in the disciplines for life in the spirit. You know, the keys to our life in Jesus Christ are the practicing on a regular basis of, of the key spiritual disciplines. Now, if you would like more information on preaching, teaching, doing a sermon series on these, if, you, if you're interested in that, uh, what I've given you here out of a, a syllabus, out of a, a bibliography of maybe 500 items, maybe are four or five of the key books that will give you the best information on the spiritual disciplines. Celebration of Discipline is the classic text that broke it all loose, you know, back in the 80s. Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life is a great book by Don Whitney. Uh, just, it's thorough, it's deep, it's meaningful, it's, it's ex explanatory. The Life You've Always Wanted by John Ortberg is more of a popularly written book, but it's all on the disciplines. And uh, if you had a layperson who would really just love to read a good book to teach them about the disciplines, that would be the one. And then, of course, Ordering Your Private World by Gordon MacDonald. It's an older book written maybe back in the 80s or 90s, but I will tell you that that book had a massive impact on me when I read it, and it's still available also. But uh, I made some major, major life changes after reading that book. It was so impacting to me, so I'd highly recommend it. In addition to the spiritual disciplines, though, the great backdrop of everything we want to talk about, how about the five, five key things that I could share with you that would help you grow in your faith and in your life in Christ. Uh, I know this sounds extreme when I say this to you. In this seminar, I want to change your life in this seminar. Someone says, well, that, okay, that does sound extreme, you know, for sure. And uh, I should probably say, uh, say this, uh, Jesus wants to change your life in this seminar. You know, but uh, in, in my journey, I've thought, you know, what has really been a serious vector point in my life, in growing in Christ. Well, here are five things that I've done over the last uh, uh, decades that really made a huge difference in walking with Christ and getting to know Him and growing in Him. The first one, I would simply call this uh, uh, developing a singular focus priority in our lives. You know, just one single priority, the most priority. Well, what is a priority? The pr a priority is especially the ranking of that which is important. Now, that's the bottom line. And, and when we talk about priorities, there maybe are several priorities, but the one I want to talk about briefly is the number one priority in your life. It needs to be the number one priority. Taking this from an example, uh, a story about Jesus' life, Luke 10, 38 through 42. I would like for us to go ahead and read this. Just follow along as I read it here. Luke is, is recording here. Now, as they, Jesus and his entourage, were traveling along, he entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet listening to his word. But Martha was distracted. Oh, Martha was distracted with all her preparations. Yeah. And she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her and said, Martha, Martha, 
you are worried and bothered about so many things. But only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Now, I know you know the backdrop of the story. Jesus is in his traveling ministry. He comes to the city where Mary and Martha and their brother, whose name was Lazarus, Lazarus yeah, uh, all, all there in Bethany. Uh, the commentators indicate that they must have been a fairly wealthy, wealthy family. doesn't mention their parents. Parents maybe were gone. And so two, two, brother, two sisters and a brother what, what, own a large farm, you know, and, and they have plenty, plenty of wealth because here's what Martha is doing. She is housing and feeding 20 people for three or four or five days. And I will tell you, the normal Jewish family back in those days could not have done that. And so they probably had the meat and the vegetables and the fruit and various things. Now, the, the scenario here is that, is that Jesus and, his, and the twelve and their, 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 uh, the ladies who traveled with them, there were women who traveled. Sometimes some of the mothers of the apostles did. Uh, people that Jesus, women that Jesus had healed. And, and what, what did they do? Well, the commentators tell, tell us they probably helped fix meals when they were out on the road. Maybe even did laundry. I mean, some things like that. You know, they just served the apostles and helped Jesus. And also they gave heavily out of their income. They made financial contributions to Jesus' ministry, Scripture says. So a group of, let's just theorize and say there are 20 people who show up at Mary and Martha's house. And um, back in those days, you had a light breakfast before you went to work. And then you had the big meal between 1 and 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, and then after work, you had kind of, kind of a, a, snack, a snack dinner, a light dinner of some kind. That was their eating pattern back in those days. And today, interestingly enough, it's pretty much still the same over there. If you go, doing the very same thing. So Jesus and his group are rolling in uh, just as that big meal is being prepared. So the scenario is the living room of Mary and Martha's home is filled with people because they heard Jesus was there. Martha is back in the kitchen knocking herself out, fixing lunch, and Mary is nowhere to be found, you know. She is in the living room, you know, sitting over there at the, literally just almost touching the feet of Jesus, just drinking in every word, you know. Well, Martha's back in the, in the kitchen. She is sweating. She is pounding out that dough for those biscuits. She killed the fatted calf. You know, she's got the mashed potatoes and gravy going, and her, her servant ladies are helping her. And all of a sudden, it dawns on her that, that Mary is nowhere to be found. So she walks into the living room, I mean, and really just kind of, Stop, interrupts Jesus. He's in there teaching. She walks into the living room, and it was kind of, kind of something like this. She walks in and says, uh, Lord, Lord, excuse me. Uh, excuse me. I know you're trying to make a point here. Um, Lord, and this is what the Greek says. Because of the syntax, the Greek literally says, she said to him, Lord, you do care, don't you? <laughs> That's exactly how she phrased it. You do care, don't you, that I am back in the kitchen knocking myself out. And the little princess is out here, you know, sitting in the, in the, so, and then the incredible thing is Martha gives God a command. <laughs> this is in the imperative tense in the Greek. Martha says, so tell her to come back here and help me. <laughs> I just, I find that, that's incredible to me. You talk about a Jewish mother, you know, just coming out there and Jesus, wait, you know, and, and just tells him, so, so you tell her to come back here and help me. You know, Mar Jesus' response to this is really incredible. Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you know, you know, in the New Testament especially, just remember this is always true. If something is repeated, it's important. When Jesus says, verily, verily, I say to you, you know, here's the deal. A big one is coming. 
whatever he's going to say, you know. So he says, Martha, Martha. He says, you are worried and bothered about so many things, you know. And y'all, you know, when I read that first time with understanding, you know, the Holy Spirit just said, Dave, does that scripture describe you at all? I mean, could you put your, your name in it? Da- David, David. You are worried about and bothered about so many things. And then Jesus really brings it to, a, a, to an end here when he says, uh, when he says um, but only one thing is necessary. Only one thing is necessary. See that phrase there? And Mary has chosen the one thing. And here's the deal. Martha, I, I love it that you're back there making us a beautiful meal. And we're really going to enjoy that. But here's the deal. Mary has chosen, chosen wisely, and we're just not going to take it away from her, you know. And uh, so just a powerful, so, so what was the one thing? Here's the bottom line. The one thing is that Mary was seeking Jesus. She was sitting at his feet, listening to his words, soaking him up, you know. And, and I will tell you, brothers and sisters, I think in, in my heart and in your heart, we really need to get this idea of the one thing that's necessary. And I just want to share this with you. I, I want to ask you to do everything you can in your life to make knowing and loving Jesus, the number one priority in your life. I will tell you that it's more important than your family, more important than your job, more important than your health even, your finances, your, your coming degree, your retirement, your vacation, uh, it's, it's your grandkids. It's more important than all of those things. It's the number one priority. And Jesus sums it up when he says, Seek first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness, that's our conversion and our growth, the kingdom of God, becoming a Christian, and his righteousness, our growth in Christ. And and all of these things that you're so concerned about and worried about, Jesus says, they'll be added to you, they'll be freely given to you. If you will simply put me first as the number one priority in your life. And brothers and sisters, I'm just telling you, the church needs to hear this. The church needs to understand that in our growth in Christ, having Jesus is our number one priority, really has to be the key for sure. So that, that's, that's where, we, where we would begin. You know, in my heart, in the quiet, in the dark, after I've gone to bed and I'm, I'm praying, you know, in my heart, what, what is the most important thing in my life? Really, in my heart, what, what is really the most important thing? And I want you to grow in your spirit and in, in your heart so that Jesus really becomes the most important thing in your life more than anything else. The second main element that I w- wanted to talk to you today about is simply this. We must understand that God is calling us to grow proactively in our daily walk with Him. The idea of us growing in our faith, it, it's really not an option. God is calling us to do that. When I, I preached in Boulder, Colorado for eight years, and um, I just have to make a comment. Bill, who's sitting in the back here, the name of your ministry, Bill? Fame. Yes. Yeah, Bill is the president of FAME. Came, came, came to Boulder during the Promise Keepers years, and, um, and we went Promise Keepers together. What, one year or two years? I think just one. Yeah, just one. And, and we have a joke about the ice cream Bill introduced me to <laughs> at, at, the, at that particular. It's still, still between us. <laughs> And, um, and, and, and in this process, being out there preaching, I had a couple in my church, and they came to my office one day, just came in, no appointment, and that was fine, Ann and Jace came in, and they say, Dave, we um, are here, and everything is 
fine, but we just needed to be with you and to pray for a while together. And I said, yeah, what's wrong? And they said, well, our son, you know, who's in the first grade, here's what happened. We we discovered that he was the shortest boy in the class by, by quite a bit. And so we took him to the doctor and he has a disease and the disease simply prohibits him from growing. He's not growing, you know. And the very, very good news is that they have actual treatment for that. And they put him on this treatment, and uh, two years down the line, he was the same height as everybody. And today, he's 6'4", with four kids, and so they took good care of him, you know, for sure. But, you all, I just remember uh, the couple sitting across from my desk, and I remember their angst and their worry about the fact that they had a child that was not developing and not growing. And I just really think, no doubt, that our Heavenly Father says, you know, there's so many times when I feel the exact same way about my children who are born into the kingdom through their baptism and are not growing and are not developing. And isn't it true, don't we know people who are baptized? And 20 years later, they've hardly moved off the mark, you know. So just in an attempt to help people grow, I want to first just look at what Scripture says about this. And I gave you a number of scriptures. We're all going to take a look at a couple of them, maybe two that, two or three that have the most impact in some ways, although they're all very meaty. First Peter 2, 1 through 3 is a quite a straight command about us uh, doing all we can you know, to grow. Peter writes and says, Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy, envy and all slander, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it, the milk of the word, you may grow in respect to salvation, if you've tasted the kindness of the Lord. Now, this admonition to grow in, in, in their faith, uh, Peter is saying, you know, put aside all, all of the old things and like newborn babies. And the word for baby here is a word for an infant that is right out of the womb. Just, just newly been born for a newborn, uh, for like newborn babies. He says, "Long for the pure milk of the word." Now, if you've studied Greek at all, here's the deal: you, you know, when you look at a Greek manuscript, the entire, all of the letters are capital letters with no spaces between them. They just all run together, one row after another. And you learned how to read those, you know, if you were if you were a Greek. So no punctuation. If you wanted to put heavy, heavy emphasis on a word, you put a prefix on a word. And when you saw the prefix on that word, you knew to translate that with real emphasis and with a lot of gusto. The word here for long actually has that, has that prefix. So it should be translated basically like this, like newborn babies with great intensity, with great desire, long, long for the pure milk of the word so that by the milk of the word you will grow in your relationship relationship to Christ. Uh, Ephesians 4, 11 through 16 is one of the classic texts about this whole point. You know, uh, there's so much here. L- let me just hit the high spots here. Uh, verse 11 is, uh, a, is the description of leadership in the church. If you just see exactly what's going on here, he says, Jesus gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastor teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. So the leaders of the church are to train the lay, lay people in the church. I mean, it is exactly what Jim just talked about. You know, it, brothers and sisters, if we expect the paid ministers in our churches to win your city to Christ, it's not going to happen. If we can't mobilize our lay people, uh, uh, th- then we're going to just continue on the, the, the way that we have. 
He says, these, these were given for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the service, to the building up of the body of Christ. But verse 13 is so critical. He says, this is, this is to happen until two things take place. One is we attain to the unity of the faith. That's the first goal. And let me just tell you that, that maintaining and cultivating unity in our churches is so critical, so important. And he says, secondly, of the knowledge of the Son of God. Second goal. See, see that right there? A knowledge of the Son of God. What exactly does that mean? Well, it means in our day and time, basically this. We study the Gospels and we get to know as much about Jesus as we possibly can. A knowledge of the Son of God. He says, when you do that, that leads you to a mature man or woman to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Uh, just incredible. That's a massive statement that he makes there. Here's what it means. It means that we are to grow in our faith until we become so much like Jesus from learning about Him and practicing His presence in our lives. We learn so much about Him and grow, grow like Him that some, somewhere, someday, someone mistakes us for Him. Someone mistakes us for Jesus. They say to us, we know that Jesus is not here on earth, but we just want to tell you today that you remind, me, you remind us so much of what Jesus must have been like uh, by your words and your deeds. And that's the ultimate goal, everyone, right there. It's right there in, in Paul. He goes on then in 14 through 16, and he says, as a result of this, and the question is, as a result of what? As a result of great leadership who are training the lay people, you know, and we are promoting unity and we're growing in our understanding of Jesus Christ and learning more about Him. As a result of this, he says, we are no longer children. <laughs> Not you all. The number one problem, number one problem in all of the body of Christ is called out by Juan Carlos Ortiz in his book Disciple when, when he talks about the fact the perpetual childhood of the believer. The perpetual childhood of the believer. You know, that so often so many of our people remain at a spiritually immature state. So he describes children here, trickery of men, craftiness and deceitful scheming. He says, but speaking the truth in love, you know, having patience, loving people, speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up. We are to grow up. We are to grow up, he says. We are to grow up, to grow up. See that phrase there? We are to grow up. Yeah, we are to grow. We are to grow up. Grow up. We are to, we are to grow up, he says. We are, we are to grow up. We are to grow up in some aspects. Uh, I'm sorry, did I misread that? Yeah. Uh, yeah. We, we are to grow up in a few aspects. Yeah. How about this one? We are to grow up in aspects of your choice. You know, just whatever you want. The word for all here is the word pasa. And literally translated, you have to translate that word all. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's the word. You are to grow up in all aspects into him. So what are we talking about here? In the way we handle our money and the way we speak to people, and our words, and our habits, and, and, and our, our minds, um, uh, the, uh, the way we drive also, you know. Okay, so, so, okay, so, so do we need to have an invitation to him now and have people come forward, and, you know, at this point. Yeah, grow up in all aspects, you know. And then he continues on, verse 11, from whom the, verse 16, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part, every part, causes the growth of the body for the building up, itse of, uh, building up of itself in love. 
student said to me a few years ago, tell me the very best book you've ever read on church growth. And I said, hands down, I'll, I'll give it to you. The book of Ephesians. If we just did what it said, I, I'll tell you, if we just our churches would grow, it would be a byproduct because of what it's talking about here. Uh, we don't have time to take Colossians 1.28 here. This is Paul's mission statement. If the Apostle Paul were here, and we, we said to him, Paul, what, what are you trying to accomplish? What did you try to accomplish in your years of ministry? This is, this is what he would say. This is what he, he would quote these verses here. Colossians 2.7 also. In other words, I, I wanted to just make this point in your mind. Brothers and sisters, listen to me today. Um, it is your personal responsibility to stimulate and manage the spiritual growth of your life. It's not your spouse's responsibility. It's not your minister's responsibility. It's your responsibility before God. You know, being before Him and saying, God, I know that I've been saved and I know your will for me is that I grow in my faith and in my relationship to you. And, 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 and I will take responsibility for making that happen. And here are a couple of ways that we can really speed that up. Point number three is simply this. God is calling us to a relationship with Him. And you know, I, I have to be honest, I don't know where you are in this. There are people that I know in the faith who have the deepest, most personal, intimate relationship with Jesus. They live with Him every day. He guides everything they do, and, and, they, and they just walk in Jesus every minute of every day. You know, uh, And then there are people that I know that I've met who really live their lives in a very, very legalistic frame of reference. You know, And I, I grew up in a church like that, you know, where, you know, not smoking, not drinking, not chewing, you know, not going to movies, not dancing. No kidding, not dancing. That was that was a rule back in the when I was a teenager. You know, uh, just all these things. And if you do these things, God won't like you. And if you don't do them, God will like you. So there you go. Take off. You know, have a great life. Uh, uh, the minister I grew up under, I love, I love, loved him. I love him to this day. Every Sunday. In his sermon, he would dangle us over the fires of hell. <laughs> Driving home in the car, you could smell the brimstone on your clothes. I'm not kidding you. you know, it scared the tar out of me. And that's why all through junior high and high school, I, I, I was a pretty good kid, really. I didn't do any of the bad things going on out there. I was afraid of my mother and, and of God and our preacher. In that order. So I'm taking a three-week class. This is like 1969, taking a three-week class, a Greek refresher class, because I had to, I had to uh, take a test to show my level of Greek so I could start the master's program at Lincoln. And I roomed with a Baptist for three weeks. And I will tell you, I, I taught him a lot about baptism. I really did. You know, he totally changed his mind. He, he introduced me to the idea, the radical idea of grace. And I'd grown up in our churches, you all, for 25 years. Graduated from Lincoln Christian College, you know, and did not know this. And, and maybe it was me, I, I don't know. Uh, I just know that, uh, that he introduced me to Grace, and, and I just said, you know, you, you have to be kidding. Is this on the level? This is amazing. So in our life group, and our, our, uh, our minister of uh, discipleship is here right now, in the front row here, in our life group, in our church, a Catholic family in their mid-50s <clears throat> left the church and <clears throat> were looking for a congregation and just, just came into our congregation. They were put into my life group. <clears throat> and I, I knew they were Catholics all their lives, Catholic schools, Catholic church for decades. And so I did, after we got into the year, I did a four-week series on grace. 
And the guy who's a massively successful businessman in Cincinnati, Ohio, said to me one night leaving, you know, your thing on grace here, it's so good, but, but, but it, it just can't be that easy. It, it, you know, there, there's got, what, what else? What are you going to do next week? Then drop the shoe, you know? Yeah, you know. And, and I said, no, Steve, it, it's not necessarily that it's easy. It's not easy to understand once you get it. But uh, it, it takes your whole life, and then you get a whole life, and it's fantastic. And man, he, he and his wife are growing like, like growing like weeds. I'm just so thrilled with where they are in, in their in their spiritual lives. Uh, so the idea that um, we live in a relationship with Christ—it's it, really the key. It isn't rule keeping. If we come to start loving Jesus more and more, and we really fall in love with Him, and we really come to worship Him and understand what He did for us. And, and the price that he paid, and we grow in our love and our commitment to him, then all of our sin offerings turn into thank offerings. You know? And we just really begin to want to obey him and to follow him, to love him. And, and, and we realize that what we're doing here, it is a relationship. And there are tons of scriptures in your outline there. Please take those and read those about how God's love is everlasting for us, I love James 4, 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. But especially Zephaniah three seventeen. Oh, this is so good. <clears throat> the Lord your God is in your midst, a victorious warrior. He will exalt over you with joy. He will be quiet in his love. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. And the Hebrew word here for rejoice can be translated singing or in some translations singing and dancing. Singing and dancing. He will sing and dance over you with shouts of joy. You know? I, mean, I mean, just think about that. For, is that really? You know, God, my Father, is singing and dancing over me because He loves me so much, because I am so accepted by Him. How do you build a If we're talking about having a relationship with God, how do you build a relationship? Well, I've just given you a massive uh, grocery list here. You know, and if we had time, I'd, I'd love to hear what you thought was the most important element in this, or most important two or three. But all of these are important. And if you think about it, and if you would take some time and kind of meditate on this, think about it, uh, just ask yourself this question. How do these things that we do together as humans that build and maintain relationships, how do these translate into our relationship to God? And you'll be amazed they all, almost all of these apply to our relationship to God as well. Someone raised their hand and said, you've got a sense of humor on here, you know? Like, do you, do you think God has a sense of humor, you know? And, uh, yeah, well, first of all, look at the camel. That's a good place to begin, you know? And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I just think God has a great sense of humor. It, it says in Psalms that he laughs, you know, that God laughs. And so, yes, and there's so much, so much more to be said there. You know, I, just, I just see Jesus and the apostles. Somebody says, did, did Jesus ever laugh? You know, well, we don't have a record that he did. He cried a couple of times, but no, no record that he laughed. But can't you see Jesus sitting with the apostles around a campfire late, not, late at night? You know, they've had dinner together, and they're just sitting there, you know, drinking coffee or whatever. And Peter says, hey, you guys, I, I heard a great joke back in the last village we were in. Uh, a rabbi, a Catholic, and, a, and an evangelical <laughs> went into a bar and... He tells this story, and everybody just breaks up and, la and laughs and laughs, you know. But not Jesus. Not you know. He's sitting over there like this, you know. Now, obviously, he might have been laughing as loudly as anybody, you know. 
And how can you build relationships without a sense of humor? I mean, you know, so even though it's not in the, in, in the documents, I think that Jesus probably had a great sense of humor and laughed frequently, went to weddings and danced and, and all, all of those things. Uh, in building this relationship, there's a mental commitment aspect to our loving God more. It comes down to this. The word agape means to love someone with an intellectual decision, not your emotions. There are some places where emotional aspects can be involved there, but the main idea behind agape is that I make an intellectual decision of my will to do the very best for this person, even if they have been terrible to me, been awful to me, I love them, you know, and, and I will do the very best for them and do exactly what Jesus said that I'm supposed to do. That's, that's agape love, which we need to have toward God for sure. But you all listen to me. There needs to be an emotional connection to, to God as well. Just like we love our wives, our children, our grandchildren, we need to have this emotional connection uh, also. Just as we affectionately love our spouses, you know, in, in, our, in our, 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 our marriages, uh, our people in our churches and so forth, that's how we love God. It's amazing to me that, that Jesus said we are not to call God our Father anymore, but we are to call Him, hmm? yeah, Daddy, yeah, Abba, Abba. It's an Aramaic word for Daddy. You know, Jesus says, call God your daddy from now on, you know, when you, when you say Abba. Um, it means that we have a connection with God. We connect with Him. Let me ask, do you, do you have someone in your life, it's your mother, father, uncle, grandparent, uh, football coach, um, drama teacher, uh, PTA friend, uh, um, drama leader, uh, whatever. I mean, is there someone in your life that you have really emotionally connected to, you know, and, and really have an abiding love? My mother... Uh, is probably really the person that I know who most reminded me of Jesus more than anybody else I've ever met. I mean, she was absolutely, unbelievably amazing in her Christian faith. And, and a lot of what I have in my heart today comes from being tutored by her and just watching her, you know. Uh, I, I love her, my wife, my two daughters, my four grandkids. There's no way that I can possibly verbally describe for you how I love them and the deep commitment. Uh, I mean, I, I literally, as I know you would, I would die for any of those people. I, I, would, I would give up my life for them, you know, in terms of how deeply I love them. You know, that's how we are supposed to have a sense toward God, loving Him in the very same way. Um, we know that God loves us, all of these scriptures and so forth. Uh, let me share this tidbit with you just briefly. Uh, in the book of Revelation, it talks about there's going to be uh, the marriage feast of the Lamb. The good news is you're getting married again. <laughs> yeah, you have another wedding in your future, the marriage feast of the Lamb. And what happens is, you know, it's judgment. Uh, everything is all cleared out. The earth has been burned by fire. Heaven has come down. It's time for the great wedding feast of the Lamb. And so we have Jesus as the bridegroom, you know. Uh, how would we see? Um, can, can you imagine Jesus in a tuxedo, you know? <laughs> That'd be interesting one, and and the bride has her bride gown on, all white linen, and um, you know, in the process of starting, and and um, uh, we uh, get married. The church marries Jesus, and for eternity, we and, and there's going to be a wedding, and the wedding is going to be a Jewish wedding, also because Jesus was a Jew, you know. So there's dancing at a Jewish wedding, and I, I'm really inhibited, you all, when it comes to dancing, you know, <laughs> really inhibited. I mean, you know, trying to crawl out under the rock that told me I was going to hell if I danced. So, uh, but I will tell you this, when I get to heaven, I, I am going to get out there and I'm going to go nuts. I really am. I'm going to get in one of those circles and you know, circling around, the, you know, I'm going to do it all. Big, big Jewish wedding, you know, going on. 
Let me ask you to think about this. God could have said to us, you know, after the judgment is over, here's how the entire, uh, entire rest of eternity is going to go. Uh, I, I am the business owner and you're my employees. That's fair. I'm going to pay you a lot of money. Full benefit package, you know, and we'll, we're going to work for eternity. Or he could have said, when we get to heaven, I'm going to be the head coach. You know, some of you are going to be, uh, be uh, various other uh, jobs in the organization, and many of you are going to be players, and we're just going to play all, all eternity. Or he could have said, when we get to heaven, I'm going to be the slave owner. That's fair. And, and you're going to be the slaves, you know. But can you think about this for just a minute? He says, when we get to heaven, um, I'm going to choose the deepest, most intense, most significant, most intimate relationship known to man. And we're going to live in that relationship for all eternity. You know, that, that, that's, that's unbelievable, you all. I mean, what God is trying to say to us, can I try to help you understand the depth of my love and the depth of my commitment to you and sending my son to die for your sins? You know, and t- ha- having a way for you after you become a Christian, taking care of you through all of that, is just so clear in Scripture that God is saying, I don't want a legalistic relationship to you where you keep all the rules. <clears throat> what I want is your love. I want is your heart. What I want is your heart. Uh, the lawyer says, Jesus, what's the greatest command out of the 716 commands in the Old Testament? You know, and Jesus said, yeah, I'll give, you, I'll give you that flat out. You will serve the Lord your God with all your heart. And so, you know, um, uh, you, uh, you will recognize the Lord your God. You know. He says, here's the greatest command. You want to know the greatest command? Here it is. Greatest command. You will love the Lord your God with every facet of your personality. That's the greatest command of all the com- Isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. God keeps saying to us and communicating to us, I want a relationship with you, a daily, a daily relationship. So keeping that in mind, really understanding how drawing close to the Lord because of His great love given to us, He is demonstrated, and then living that, living that in a relationship with Him, a daily relationship. You know, in, in religion, someone would say, I have really messed up. I must run away because my father is going to kill me when he finds out what I did. That's religion. In a relationship, the same person says, I have really messed up. I need to run to my father and tell him what happened. You know, see, see what I mean? It's a relationship, you know, and just all of that. I would just like to open my heart to you for a moment and share with you some of the things I've learned. I, um, um, before COVID, went to a monastery type affair near our home there in northern Kentucky. Monastery is in Cincinnati. And uh, I would go there for $15. They give you a room and access to the dining room all day. And um, uh, I, I went, I, they have several rooms where you can, that you can use, but there are a couple of rooms upstairs that are great big, huge living room type affairs. And there's one room that I love to go in. It has a great big overstuffed chair, and the back of the chair is about this high. So you can sit in the chair, which is very large, and, and you can kind of lean back like this, you know, and, and just really relax and just meditate or whatever you're doing at that particular juncture. <clears throat> so it was probably about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I got there about 9 in the morning. It was probably 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And that, that's the hardest time, you know, <laughs> to make it through that day. So I'm, I'm just kind of laying back and really just enjoying my time with the Lord. And man, bang, I, just, I fell asleep, you know, <laughs> and slept about half an hour. And I woke up. 
you know, and I thought, oh no, what have I done? One day a month, you know, I do this, and here I've just burned 30 minutes of the day uh, sleeping in the Lord's presence, you know. And so I said, Lord, you know, hey, it's, it's me, the apostle in the Garden of Eden, Garden Gethsemane, you know, here I am. Lord, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean to do this. And y'all, I don't know how you feel that God communicates to you. I have never heard the voice of God audibly myself. But I will tell you that God speaks into my spirit on a regular basis. And I swear to you, I, I'm telling you, when I, when I asked the Lord to forgive me for falling asleep, the Lord spoke into my spirit and said, Dave, Dave, it's okay. Don't, no, don't even apologize. Because while, while you were sleeping, I was holding you. That's what a father does when he loves his children, you know. And uh, I just thought to myself, uh, th this really is a relationship, isn't it? You know, but so much one they're just keeping rules, th that kind of an idea. So if we have a good handle on that and we're really internalizing that, spending more time really developing the idea that this is a relationship, it's a living, breathing relationship with God as opposed to rule keeping, <laughs> then we must move on to number four and uh, get all this in if we possibly can here in the next 15 minutes. Follow along in, in your thinking with me. Um, our spiritual growth depends on our perception of God's perception of us. Okay, I want you to think about it for just a moment. Our our relationship to God, our spiritual growth, depends on our perception of God's relationship to us. And here's what I mean by that. How do we feel about how God perceives us and feels about us? I mean, and this is very, very personal, you all. It's just between you and the Lord. You know, just between you and the Lord. How, how, how do you feel that God actually feels about you? For a believer to grow, he or she must clearly understand how God feels about them because this is absolutely vital. And there are a ton of scriptures that talk about how desperately God loves us, as we've already looked at. I give you a, a skim uh, of what scripture says. God de desperately loves us. He's committed to us. Go back to what scripture says. We, we have to know that God is dramatically in great depth in love with us. He not only loves us, but here's the good news. He likes us. He, he, he has to love us because he said he would. But it's better than that, you all. It's better than that. God likes us. I think that's one of the reasons that prayer to God is so important. Because no relationship on earth can be sustained without communication. And that's why there's so much in Scripture about the fact that we need to build our prayer lives because that's how we connect to God, uh, through, through that relational aspect. In God, we are totally and completely loved by Him. He accepts us in every way. Now remember that obedience, I, I put this in our outline twice, obedience to the Lord is the key to this whole thing. Jesus said in John 13, 14, 15, six times, He says, If you love me, keep my commandments. This is how I will know if you really love me or not, if you do what I ask you to do. So that's the backdrop to all of this for sure. You know, We sense all the time that Satan lies to us, which he does, and he says to us, you know, yeah, you think that God loves you. God tolerates you. That's the best you can hope for. God just tolerates you. You know, um, you really make him mad quite often by your behavior and your attitudes and the things that you do. And uh, because God said, if you accepted Jesus as His Son, you would have eternal life. Uh, that, that's probably the way it's going to be. But uh, let me just tell you, you know, um, 
God's attitude is not good. And you, he, Satan lies to us. He lies to us, accuses us. You know, the Bible says he's the father of lies. Satan uses guilt and shame like a bludgeon uh, against us over and over and over again. But in God, we're totally accepted. Someone might say, okay, I hear what you're saying. It's all good. I accept that. But here's the deal. You do not know my former life. You know, you, you don't know what I did in, in high school and college. And uh, here's the deal. You know, I, I think the very best that I can hope for is that God simply tolerates me. Um, I, I just, I just, we really need to understand that there is no sin in the universe that is stronger than the blood of Jesus Christ. You know, and every single sin, any sin at all, you know, that you have committed by, by repenting and asking forgiveness of that sin, uh, uh, we receive forgiveness. Forgiveness is promised there. I'd like for you to just know for a fact and leave here today knowing that for whatever, you, whatever sin you've committed in your past, no matter what, there's one unforgivable sin, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And here's the deal. Had you committed that sin, you would not be here today. Promise me. I, I promise you. So, so you haven't committed that sin, any sin. Here's a great story. I, I, I read this years and years ago. It's about a woman who was in a Catholic church, and she said to her priest uh, one day after church, I know you're going to think that I'm really, you know, really out of it here, but, but I live by myself, and on frequent occasions, Jesus visits me at night, and we have the most wonderful conversations. And he said, that, that's really interesting. He said, let me just ask you to do this. The next time Jesus comes to your house, um, here's the deal. When I was in seminary, I committed a really, really horrible, serious sin. And I want you to ask Jesus what that sin was. And she said, I will. I will. And so next Sunday she came back and he said to her, did you, did you see Jesus this week? And uh, she said, yes, twice he came and we had time together. And he said, did you ask him what my sin was? And she said, yes. And she said, what, what did he say? And, and the woman said, I did ask him. And he said, uh, I, I, I don't remember. I don't remember what the sin was. You know. So what we need to talk about then is the work of forgiving ourselves because of sins that we've committed in the past. To forgive ourselves. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. Guilt is the enemy's way of trying to get us to pay for what Jesus has already paid for. Okay? You have to stop remembering what God has forgotten. Never be a prisoner of your past. Never be a prisoner of your past. It was a lesson, not a life sentence. I, I, I love that thought. Our Father completely forgives us and, and, and forgets. And knowing the blood of Christ is in our lives, it's, a, it's an amazing thing. Luke 12, 7 tells us, Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Can we stop there for a moment, you all? I, mean, I just want you to think about this. <laughs> yeah, Dean, it, it's true. It's easier to count some saints than others, you know, in terms of counting. You know, but you all, as I mentioned, my two daughters, you know, they're, they're my world. I mean, I love them with, with everything I have. They both have very, very full heads of hair. You know, I have to tell you, really, in all their growing up years, with the level of love I have for them, not one time did I ever take string and tape it onto their hair and make a little grid and get, a, get an electron microscope and just start you know, counting the little numbers. I mean, I, I never did that. And listen to these words of Jesus. God is so concerned about every detail of your life, about every single thing that's going on in your heart and in your mind. God is so concerned about that. Here's how he proved it. At every minute of every 
hour of every day, God knows exactly the number of hairs that are on your head. That's, that's how detailed His care and love for you is. You know? And the, you know, those are Jesus' words right, right out of His own mouth. It, really, it truly is amazing. Now, we need to really, uh, really figure out the idea that um, if we can't accept God's love and internalize it, I think we're going to have a really, really hard time drawing close to Him and growing as a Christian. If I can't say to myself, you know, I know I'm unworthy. I know I have sin in my past. I'm fully cognizant of that. But God really has, has taken all of that away. And I will sit around the king's table, you know, when I get up there, and I, and I am his son. And God loves me and treasures me, takes me into his heart. And I have that kind of a relationship with him. Uh, just learning how to forgive ourselves if we think that God is angry at us most of the time, uh, I just think it's a huge roadblock to us really accepting and receiving the grace and lo love of God. I think Satan uses uh, guilt so effectively on us that sometimes here's what we think. We think that we wake up in the middle of the night, 3 o'clock, there's a bright light in our room, and the angel, an angel is there in our room. And he says, uh, the first thing he would say to us would be what? He would say, uh, well, when an angelic host comes to earth, they all say the same thing. They all say, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Yeah, that's what they all say. Don't, don't be afraid. It's me. It's okay. I am the death angel. <laughs> and I'm here to pick you up tonight. So go ahead and get, come with me. There's an escalator over here in the corner. We're going to go up through the clouds and the stars, through the sun, come out in the Shekinah glory of God. And I'm taking you. I'm taking you to meet your Maker. And so we say, well, okay. You know. So we go over. We. I'm, I'm ready. Ready to go. We go over and get on the escalator. Go up through the clouds, the stars. Come out to the beautiful Shekinah glory of God. And here, two huge pearly gates, and a table with a bunch of books on it. And Peter is there. We have to have him, him there. Yeah, Peter's there. And and our heavenly Father is there at the gate. You know, and, and the angel is walking us over to, to the table, and our Heavenly Father looks up and He sees us. He sees us coming, and we get close to the table, and God, and God stands up from the table and kind of walks out around the edge of it and puts His hands on His hips, and He does this. He says, Oh, it's you. <laughs> okay, let me just see if your name is in the book here. Yeah. Okay, here it is. Yep, right. You made it. You know, you got in. But I, I want you to know this, though, before we go any farther. You, you barely made it. You, you got in by the skin of your teeth, you know. So, uh, okay, just go right through this pearly gate on the left over here. And um, Seventh Mansion on the right. You know, the one you... Tennis, tennis court, swimming pool, jacuzzi back there, latte machine you mentioned. It's all back there. And uh, tonight at 7 o'clock after dinner is a great worship time in the stadium. And here are your here's your ticket to go to the stadium. It's actually on the very top row of the stadium behind a post. <laughs> and that, that's kind of what we thought you deserved. So, y'all, you know, y'all in heaven, there, there are no, there are no um, top rows and there are no posts, you know. And I'm just telling you, just like the father and the prodigal son story, you know, his response to his child coming home. That's exactly how God feels about us to a T. And when we see him, we're going to really recognize that and internalize that and know that's, that's absolutely the truth. So you all, we must be able, must be able, must be able to accept and receive 
the grace of God in our lives. We must, we must be able to forgive ourselves. You know, we receive God's forgiveness, such a wonderful thing, but we have to forgive ourselves as well. Knowing that God has forgiven us, we forgive ourselves then. The last item that I just want to briefly mention to you in our last um, three minutes here simply comes down to the whole idea of intentionality is critical in our pursuit of spiritual formation. By this, I mean that we do take responsibility for our own growth, but we basically do this. We actually pursue God. We run after God. That's the idea. A couple of scriptures here. Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2. Sorry that songs come and go in our worship sets on Sunday morning. This one should not have gone. This is so powerful. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for you, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? You know, the idea here is that um, David knew and saw many, many times deer that had died for uh, died of thirst in August, September in the Holy Land and Israel, down in the southern part of the country there. It's just total desert. And David, as a shepherd, many times saw, saw um, um, deer who could not find water to sustain their lives and, and died out there from, from thirst. And he's saying here, as the deer pants for the water brook, is desperately trying to find water to stay alive. That's my level of intensity, Father, running after you. you know? Psalm 119.10, with all my heart I have sought you. Father, I've looked for you. I've run after you with all of my heart. Don't let me wander from your commandments. You know, and so just the whole beautiful idea that we pursue God, you know, that we run after Him, uh, we spend time with Him, we, we meditate on His love letters to us, and we memorize them, and we make them part of our lives. And the spiritual disciplines start becoming part of our normal routine. Uh, what I'd like to ask is, you, is to ask you to think about this point at the very bottom of your outline. Talking about the disciplines, talking about... Um, loving God, talking about receiving His grace, so forth. Uh, if I could just ask, ask you this, what, what would your next step in your spiritual growth possibly be? You know, if I were to ask you to think, if you could do one thing as a, as a practice between now and December, if you could add one thing to your arsenal, one, one practice that you have. Um, uh, you know, I, I believe in fasting. I've just never fasted. And so I said, you never become part of my life. You know, I would say to you, you know, well, what, what if you read, uh, there's an excellent book out there on prayer and fasting, you all. It'll change their lives, won't it, won't it Michael? It will. It will, for sure. Yeah, you know, and um, just started fasting, fasting one meal a month. Just start there, you know, and then move to a meal every other week, you know. And let me just say that there are thousands, thousands of believers who have made a commitment in a thing we have called Prayer Fast. If you go to prayerfast.org, David, prayerfast.org, you can see what we're doing there. We want to start a prayer and fasting movement around the world. And through TCM and discipleship.org, we, we mean around the world. We think we can really do it, you know. And, uh, and so you could, you could begin adding the discipline of fasting. Out of all the major disciplines, fasting is the hardest of all the disciplines for me. It's harder than any other. But I will tell you that it, it has massively impacted and changed my relationship to Christ. I've gone to places of depth that I know I would never have gone to had I not, not developed the discipline of fasting. Or maybe the discipline of solitude. Uh, let me just mention to you that journaling is, is a massive, massive blessing to a person who will start journaling on a regular basis. W wonderful news now is that 
um, articles were being written in the medical magazines by non-Christians talking about the amazing therapeutic value in journaling, especially during times of trauma and loss and grief. You know, and, and so uh, <coughs> I only just say that journaling is an open door to a wonderful, wonderful, deeper relationship with Christ if you've not started journaling. And there are tons of really good books out there right now. You can buy a whole book on how to start journaling and what to do, and many of them are very, very good. I'd like to just challenge you from our time here together today. Is, is there one, one step that you could make that would really take you closer to Christ, that would have you go up the staircase <coughs> of growth, and maybe just one, one or two steps? Take a look at that list of disciplines, and for every discipline I have on that front page, there are books that are written that uh, you can buy and learn more about. And uh, one of the best things you could do is become a student at TCM and take our take our spiritual formula, our discipling class, and we'll go over all of this in great detail. And hopefully that'll be helpful. Y'all, I hope just uh, when I go to a session like this, I say to myself, you know what? If I get one good piece. I can carry away and build into my life. It, it's been, it's been uh, worth it to me time-wise. And I just hope it's been that way for you today also. Mm-hmm. Let me, let me pray a prayer of blessing over you today, if that's okay. Holy Father, I thank you for every person in this class today. Father, we know how much you love us, and we dearly, dearly appreciate everything you do for us every single day, Father. There are no words for us to describe how grateful we are. I thank you, Father, for every woman, every man in this class. I pray that you would cover them in your grace, that you would draw them close to your heart, that that you would bless them, encourage them, feed them, nurture them, and help them, Father. Help each one of us as we are on this journey to grow, to become as much like Jesus as we possibly can. And it's in his powerful name that we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Remember, take, take a few outlines if you want. Really, please feel free to help yourself. They're they're only a dollar a piece. I didn't mention that. (laughs) That was fantastic stuff from David. David, thank you so much for sharing that with us. Hey, if you haven't already, make sure to check out tcmi.org. You can go there and find out more about TCM International and find out what kind of resources they may have to support you. All right, next up, we have another episode from TCM. So please click that subscribe button so that you know when I release it. All right, y'all have a great day, and I hope to see you on the next episode. See ya.